And just before we conclude our tour of the FunnierDie.com offices, I just want to thank you again, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Chet Festerman, someone who's currently trying very desperately to be funny. And in the last leg of our tour here, we have the Funnier Die Graveyard. You know, a lot of people, they know about everything that was funny that comes out of FunnierDie.com, but here is where all of the die videos go and the people who made them along with them. More recently, in the year 2019, we've had a retirement home who just discovered the Harlem Shake and decided to make a video. My nephew will love this. This isn't water aerobics. Oh no, is that the Grim Reaper? Good thing they were close to dying anyway, you know? And over here we have the nice headstone of a video where a father throws a piece of cheese onto the forehead of his lactose intolerant baby. Excuse me, sir. Yes, you in the back who looks slightly funny. Yeah, uh, so did the baby die from that video? No, the baby did not die, but we did kill the father. He was the one who made the video, so we had to put him in one of our graves here. But don't worry about the baby. We just orphaned him and threw him into the horribly fractured U.S. foster care system. Oh, uh, that's, that's, that's really dark, man. Uh, all right. We have stores of nitrous oxide by the buttload behind this door over here. Ah, uh, that's why my trip to the bathroom was so awkward. I went through the wrong door. Ah. Uh. <laughs> and we have a special treat for you actually today. You will actually get to witness the filling of one of our funnier die die graves. We'll be accompanied by our grave digger Jansen. Say hello to Jansen, everybody. Hi, Jansen. So, Jansen, who do we have here today? Well, today here. We're going to bury Patrick Baylor because of his 2008 What's in My Toilet series of videos. Oh, I definitely clicked die on that one. W what? But I scrubbed those from the internet immediately my second day of high school and everyone made fun of me for it. Those shouldn't be here anymore. What are, what, what are you talking about? Hold on a minute, Jansen. This person who's been asking all of these annoying questions this whole time on the tour is Patrick Baylor, the one we are killing today. You got that right. It's time to meet my shovel. Wait, before you kill me, I'm a host of a podcast with two other funny people. If I can make you laugh through this podcast, can I live? Since you're on our turf, you'll do it on our terms. You have to review the new Zach Galifianakis Between Two Ferns movie. Uh, all right. I have a busy schedule, but I can fit that in, I guess. Uh, do you think you could make it funny? I'll do my best! Alrighty then, cue Mr. Baylor's podcast music. And welcome, Funnier Die Execs, and everyone else listening to another edition of Son of a Ginger. As always, I'm your host, Patrick Baylor. Patrick, why are you talking so fast, man? I, I'm fighting for my life, man, and I'll explain later, but joined by my equally as funny, if not funnier, co-hosts. I'm Mason Moreau, a.k.a. Winter Fire, a.k.a. Firefox, a.k.a. Fire Festival. Good, good, very funny, very funny. And my other co-host... I'm Beth Marcinko. That's it. So we got funny co-hosts, and we got funny commentary about the Between Two Ferns movie from Funny or Die, and hit that funny button, everyone. Beth, can I talk to you real quick? Yeah, Mason, what's up? We just walk over here into the corner of the studio where Patrick can't hear us. Hello? So why, is, why is Pat acting so... He's like double the Patrick right now. 
I don't know. He said he's like fighting for his life or something. I don't... Is this something we have to be worried about? I mean, may- maybe we should be? Anyway, guys, for the sake of having good radio, this is Son of a Ginger, or we, as we like to call it around the office, Fun of a Ginger. And we're talking the Between Two Ferns movie starring Zach Galifianakis, directed by Scott Ackerman of the comedy Bang Bang world. And Bang Bang, we had some jokes. This was a web series that won a couple of Emmys back in the day and had guests from everyone between Amy Adams to Justin Bieber to President Barack Obama. But it kind of stopped around last summer after one random interview with Jerry Seinfeld and Cardi B. And Zach Galifianakis has said in interviews that the format was kind of dying and was exhausted. And yet we have a movie. Why was it made? Thoughts? It seems like just another opportunity to milk this comedy cow and for Netflix to get another piece of ridiculous content with a lot of stars in it on their streaming service. Yeah, the value proposition here was that Netflix was given something to own that was, has its roots in something in very like in viral video fame. It was an excuse to have a plot weave through 10 episodes of the show at once. But I think for long longtime fans of the show, it does sort of recontextualize this character that Zach Galifianakis plays and adds just a little bit of depth to him. You know what I mean? Just just a little bit of depth. You could go back and watch every episode of Between Two Ferns and maybe now that you know that this character just wants desperately to have his own talk show, comedy would be a little bit heightened. Yeah, he's just trying so hard and wants to be someone important and then just still can't get it and is so awkward about it. Yeah, it adds that fun extra level to it all. Otherwise, I don't know, it was... It was all right with me. It meandered at some parts. We had a mockumentary with this. You know, we had the format that we've seen on the web series where it's just Zach Galifianakis awkwardly non sequituring random questions with celebrities. But then he wants to be this late night talk show host and he has to make money for Funny or Die. And Will Ferrell plays a heightened version of himself, tells him to do a bunch of shows. So we have a mockumentary road show. Oddly familiar to Todd Phillips' hangover follow-up due date with oh. Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis. I forgot about that movie. I like that movie. I really enjoyed that movie. And the plot of that movie is very similar. As a regular person has to put up with zany Zach Galifianakis for a road trip that everyone's required to go on for their personal situation. Sounds very, very familiar. But there was an added level of drama in Due Date that made it a little more impactful. And this one, the drama didn't land. They always played the dramatic moments up for comedy, like Lauren Lapkus's character. Shout out Lauren Lapkus, by the way. She's great and everything. But they're having sort of a moment on a swan boat. And then she just pulls the trumpet out of her purse. And she's just like, yeah, you know, I just bought this. And then it's just a joke that plays out for too long instead of it maybe having a serious note Literally. Yeah. She wasn't very good at playing any of those notes. No, she didn't have any serious notes in that repertoire. She just wanted to give it a toot. Yeah, she <laughs> just <laughs> give it a toot. <laughs> See, that conversation was funny, though. He was like, you can you can give it a toot if you want. I can't wait to go through just random trivia of Lauren Lapkus and find out, oh, she's actually a classically trained trumpeteer from Juilliard. Lauren Lapkus as Carol Hunch, Ryan Gall as Cam, and then, oh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Giovanni Lina Yal playing Boom Boom, were a pretty solid supporting cast as the crew of the Between Two Ferns show. I think they did a good job with a fairly comedy heavyweight that is Zach Galifianakis. I think they were really able to hold their own. Well, and not only a comedy heavyweight, but just somebody who is a very overwhelming presence overall. Zach Galifianakis will eat up a scene 
if he's not balanced out by somebody else, like the scenes with Will Ferrell. The scenes with Will Ferrell, I felt, were the most ridiculous and had the most heightened comedy because they're both playing caricatures of themselves and we're much more familiar with them as people and actors. So I felt like those scenes especially hit even when it was very corny and ridiculous. Yeah, I think Zach Galifianakis's comedic style is very, very good for adding flavor to the comedian that he's interacting with or guests that he's interacting with while also sort of bringing himself up at the same time, which is why Between Two Ferns was so funny to begin with. At this movie's best, we're just getting a lot more of that, right? But at its worst, it's sort of just a one-note cookie-cutter plot that serves as the silver-serving dish for this 10-episode arc of Between Two Ferns. You'd say that uh, Zach and Will were really able to uh, water those ferns. Yeah. Hit that funny button, guys. Yep, yep. Anyway, what, Mason? Also with weirdly inserted an awkward sex scene with Chrissy Teigen. Oh, what the hell was that? Chrissy Teigen just showed up at that bar one day and was like, what do you want to do with me, guys? I'll, I'll do whatever. So that's the thing about this, though, right? Is that it seems like they did that with every one of the guests, even with the movie scene parts. They're just like, yeah, just have a conversation. Like the conversation with Paul Rudd. Yeah. Although, just going back really quick, my favorite part of the whole Chrissy Teigen arc of this film was John Legend's part in it when he came and pepper sprayed Zach Galifianakis everywhere. Everywhere. So Cam and the gang, Cam and Zach and the whole crew, they had some interviews and, you know, learned a lot on their road trip. How, with the balancing of a mockumentary and then a road show where it's essentially just the same as the web series, did y'all feel like that worked? Do y'all feel like it still had the right DNA of the original web series that we know and love? Or did, did we lose anything along the way? Well, I feel like the parts that literally were the web series that we all know and love had the DNA, but I think the whole angle of this movie is was that there's a movie portion tacked onto it, right? It's not just an hour and 20 of Zach Galifianakis interviewing people and then shuffling the next guest in. There's like a dramatic scripted arc to it. That's all I have to say about that. What about you, Beth? I felt similarly. It was nice to see these little vignettes of the Between Two Ferns style, like straight from the web series. But I think the only thing that made it a movie or made it a cohesive quote-unquote narrative at all was the addition of these characters and their background story and this road trip element that is fine. It seems kind of lazy to me to just tack on that sort of story structure to it. I don't even think it made that much sense because it doesn't, to me, make sense that they would go to all of these weird random places to do these interviews where a lot of these actresses and actors probably live in New York or LA. It would just kind of make more sense to go between those. I kind of like the, we went to Peter Dinklage's house part. That was funny. The LaCroix Warhol, so, so funny to me. I really liked that moment. A wonderful gag that we're like, wait, LaCroix wasn't around during his time. <laughs> yeah. I always like when they point out that sort of gag in the movie and are self-referential and recognizing just the ridiculousness of the setting that they're in. I love when they acknowledge that. And I think it makes the storytelling 
portion of it more worthwhile. I would say with the road part, the interviews really did lose their steam when we had one after another after another. And then we just had like the quick one-offs. Like I think Tiffany Haddish's was funny, for example, but I would have liked to see more of Tiffany Haddish because she's a funny person. And like Haley Steinfeld, for example, like hers was very random. It's like, why is Haley Steinfeld here? By the time we got to that, truly the montage I didn't want to see that part anymore. I got tired of it. You know, it's honestly truly like they actually intercepted these people while they were in the middle of some press junket for something else, mm-hmm. uh, similar to what they did with the show. So I actually don't know if that's the verified method that they used. And literally, they were just able to get these folks when they were around yeah, doing their stuff. They certainly made it seem that way. But yeah, the story portion left a lot to be desired, but I don't think anyone, when they saw the news that there's a Between Two Ferns movie, thought it was going to be an Oscar winner or even just a coherent classic comedy. Like, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be that. Because I did think it was going to be 82 minutes of a Between Two Ferns style interview. And it's like, these videos are funny for four minutes. Say these videos maybe aren't my cup of tea, but I know there's someone else's. So the fact that they were able to, I think, insert somewhat of a story, it was a film. I'll call it a movie. I think with the right person for the right amount of time, these interviews are funny as a web series. I do agree, though, that having them back to back to back made it stale very quickly. Yeah, Yeah, the rapid fire nature of it makes the format lose its bite. Like, I don't know if anyone binges the Between Two Ferns show, but there's a reason why the show has been running since 2008, but there's only 21 episodes and there's gaps where some won't be made for a few months and some won't be made for another few years, but they'll keep it going. I think that's for a reason. If this was every week, it'd be like, oh, it's just him being awkward, but with President Obama, oh, it's him being awkward, but with Bruce Willis... So funny, so funny. Uh. It's probably incredibly difficult to get guests onto the show as themselves. You know what I mean? Like you invite a guest for a movie where they're going to play an exaggerated version of themselves and it's a different story. But you invite someone on for your web series and you tell them you're going to get interviewed by Zach and he's going to be sitting between two bushes and not necessarily everyone knows. Two ferns, sir, two ferns. Okay. But I'm thinking about the actor's manager pitching it to them or their agent just saying, you're going to sit between bushes and talk to the bearded guy from the hangover and it's going to be fine. And you're going to get paid five hundred dollars and then you can go have a baguette with your wife or whatever, whatever. I don't know. It's a little bit tougher of a sell when you're being asked to dynamically respond to it. Right. Instead of it being a scripted heavily improvised with movie which i do want to segue into this movie you can it's like i wouldn't say painfully obvious but it's just very because it wasn't painfully it's very apparent that plenty of these scenes are like all improvised they were just like yeah we need to get from point a to point b and as long as you get there just fill it with whatever shit you think is funny and that is the style i believe they do a like a little pre-interview they kind of like let the guests know hey this is kind of where we're gonna go but just have fun with it Mm -hmm. I like that we got that little piece of behind the scenes material when Lauren Lapkus's character was talking to Rashida Jones and Zach Galifianakis is like, but what about the fact that you're half black and half white? Like, do you have anything light and funny about that? I liked that kind of peek behind the scenes of starting that awkwardness from the jump. From the pre-production standpoint of it all. Exactly. So you talk about how Rashida Jones, for example, like really fit into the behind the scenes. 
with having a lot of guests, not everyone's little fake interviews made the cut, but I really enjoyed what Adam Scott and John Cho presented with the very funny gag that, you know, Boom Boom just turns all these celebrities down. They showed those two guys, for example. I felt like they were very game and very like, oh, that's fine if you can't if you have to cut our thing, but can we do this funny thing as well? I thought that was a nice little little moment with our little cameos from all of our favorite comedians. If you're listening to this and you are not familiar with who Scott Ackerman is, he's probably one of the most prolific comedians that not everybody knows his name. And I think this show sort of has a lot to thank from him in terms of format and stuff. Like Comedy Bang Bang is we've lifted a lot of comedic ideas from that show, I would say. So would you say this is a movie with like creative vision? Because Scott Ackerman is the director, the producer and the writer of this. Yeah, I, you can you can see his comedy style bleed through. And then also, he just got all of his buddies to be in it. Like, John Cho and Adam Scott are his legit friends, I'm pretty sure. And he and Adam Scott have a show called Are You Talking R.E.M. Re-Me, where it's a podcast about the band R.E.M. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. So, Scott Ackerman, I like him. Is he the most talented, comedic visionary of our generation? No. But he's superbly funny, probably funnier than I'll ever be. And I definitely thought this movie was funny. I would say with the career trajectory of Scott Ackerman, you mentioned another random podcast that I haven't heard about till just now. He seems more of a quantity over quality guy. He might make a lot of stuff and some of it will be funny, but he'll make it. And that's a pretty cool thing in the creative realm when you could just, you know, make stuff and hope it's good. And then if it's not good, learn from it. Well, yeah, and not necessarily quantity over quality, but by quantity, I feel like that's more of Let's just throw all of our ideas at the wall. We know some of them aren't going to be funny, but that's how we're going to learn how to be funnier, you know? And like they do have some really funny ideas that hit right off the bat or were developed to be much funnier than they originally were. Like any comedian, there's stuff that hits right away and there's just stuff that doesn't. And the fact that he's so prolific is such a strength. Sure. And you talk about things that they might have to cut. Just fun fact from Wikipedia, several ideas for Between Two Ferns that didn't make the cut were instead inserted into Baskets, Zach Galifianakis's other show on FX. Fun little tidbit. And of all the fun that we had with this, we had a lot of fun guest stars and guest cameos. Some playing fictitious versions of themselves, some just kind of sitting in a chair because their agent told them to. Of the long laundry list, which ones were your favorites? Who did you think, you know, Brought a lot to the table. I love John Hamm. I cannot say enough good things about John Hamm. He is such an excellent actor. He's game to do comedy. And he is ready to make fun of himself, which I think is so important if you're doing something like this, especially if you're doing it with Galifianakis. And the whole part was such a fun meta joke. Mm-hmm. Where he was just like, they pull him out from doing an autograph signing at a church. And he's like, oh, I say yes to everything. <laughs> and everyone claps for him. That was hilarious because you know, he obviously said yes to this movie as well. Like, that was great. I think personally, in terms of being funny, I think the Paul Rudd one was also the star for me. I, I've been a fan of Paul Rudd. The first R-rated movie I saw in the theater was I Love You, Man. Ooh, so uh, controversial, Mason. Ooh, I would say my favorite, I think, was Matthew McConaughey because he was important to get the plot going. And I don't know, I'll watch McConaughey in anything. All right, all right, all right. And I love that joke where (laughs) 
your movies. All right, all right, and yeah, it was all right. That was fantastic. All right, all right, all right. No, sorry, I was just reading the headlines or whatever for your last three movies. I really liked the Matthew McConaughey joke about the weed budget for True Detective. I thought that was really, really funny. And it's like, how much of that did you smoke today? Man, well, that McConaughey, I think his performance was more than all right. (laughs) You know, Matthew McConaughey, he keeps getting older and I keep growing in age too. (laughs) Hit that funny button, guys. Also, I loved Paul F. Tompkins' super brief cameo as the host of a game show where he tells Zach Galifianakis semi-indirectly not to give up and that he needs to follow his dreams. I just, I love that too, that he was a plot point on a television in the movie. Those good old buddies with the comedy bang bang, bang bang banging. That seemed like just a perfect Scott Ackerman sort of setup for the character changing moment in the end of the second act. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Where he's just watching a TV and literally everything out of context makes sense for his situation. It was a very, very well-crafted joke. Paul F. Tompkins, always a treat. And we know that he can play very convincing game show hosts. What time is it right now dot com presents? He was also very good in You're the Worst. Just a side note. So, uh, of these celebrities, did you think any was like close to their mischaracterizations? Do you think they were mischaracterized or... Do you think Peter Dinklage has all these Fabergé eggs at his house? I think that's besides the point. Like, I don't want to believe that any of the actors portrayed something close to themselves in this. Because the idea is that they're all trying to play these heightened versions. If I were an actor, the last thing I would want to do is let anything about my personal self sort of bleed out into these scenes, right? And I don't think anyone really tries to portray themselves in between two ferns. But what about Will Ferrell? You don't think he's just staring at all the clicks that... Funnier Die is hopefully getting. <laughs> I don't think Will Ferrell has an office in the Funnier Die headquarters as much as I don't think that Will Ferrell is in real life Mugatu. <laughs> oh, man. But where's that blue steel? <laughs> oh, that blue steel. Let's all do it really quick. You guys can't see. And with Will Ferrell, for example, Will Ferrell does a good job of just committing to characters. So it's interesting to see him commit to the terrible character of Will Ferrell because I think he's uncomfortable playing himself in interviews for example I really enjoyed seeing the character that he committed to of being this absurd exec I mean the moment that he stepped out of that damn Hummer limo oh my god and onto the scooter yeah man (laughs) they gave him a bird scooter that was ridiculous bird or die baby bird or die thank you bird scooters for supplying your scooters to this movie That being said, Bird, if you would like to sponsor us, we're looking for sponsors. We're looking for monetization. This podcast is brought to you by Bird Scooters. Don't you hate how they're everywhere? Well, (laughs) Don't you hate walking? Now you can have the Bird Scooter cleanup app that'll hire a Bird Scooter riding cleanup man to come clean up the Bird Scooters that are just sitting in a pile outside your house. (laughs) Very funny. Hit that button, guys. And we have plenty of other past very funny podcasts that are worth saving my life for. Check those out wherever you get your podcasts. Saving your life? We just do this show for fun, man. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, this is like an every week kind of thing. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's really is life or death in this, you know, crazy podcast market. So please listen to us, guys, and give us a like on our social. We got an Instagram at Son of a Ginger Podcast. Patrick, what's going on, man? Yeah, we need to talk about how weird you've been acting this episode. So remember that 
tour I went to earlier this week. Yeah, the one at Funny or Die headquarters, right? Of course. So they found my old YouTube videos, and if I can't prove that our podcast is funny, they're going to kill me. So hit that funny button, guys, and hit that five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you review, and this will let me live. I know you guys can do it. It's just an easy click of the button. I told you not to go there, man. I told you not to take that tour. We knew that Will Ferrell was going to extort you or something. It's all about networking. I'm telling you guys, like, I think this will hit it. I think this will save our... Oh, no. Jansen? I'm back, Patrick. And you weren't funny enough. But wait, we still have to edit it. I promise we can make something even funnier with that, right? Say hello to the Iron Maiden. No! No!